0: and welcome to the business of security podcast brought to you by trust map for security performance management Your hosts today are Chad Beckman and Malcolm Harkins. Today, they talk with Gus Thompson on the topic of business resiliency. Now, let's get to it.
1: All right. Welcome to the Business Social Security Podcast. Thank you for joining us again this month. We have a special guest, Gus Thompson, joining us for a discussion on business resiliency. Very excited about this conversation. Gus, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, um, my pleasure to be with you this morning. So Gus, uh, Malcolm and I uh, are really curious to listen to your story today and kind of hear about your background and what got you into this whole notion of business resiliency and you know, what has been your industry experience?
2: Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a sales marketing executive, general manager executive that uh, had the unfortunate circumstance of living through two cyber events. So going back several years ago, um, my phone rang on a Friday night and uh, they said we had had a cyber event. And uh, up to that point, I probably couldn't really even spell cybersecurity if I'm being totally honest. Um, But it turns out that we as an organization had a a breach that resulted in us losing our network, which are our SaaS applications, our CRM, our phone systems, and our email. And I was very ill-prepared to deal with all the stakeholders that I had to communicate with and what was going on. But we, we muscled through it. Um, we learned a lot. We kept notes, we developed principles. Uh, we had a lot of learnings that we actually then applied to our business. What, what I would say that made us more resilient and we'll get into the details of that in a bit. But uh, fast forward, uh, we did recover. We had our best year in a decade, the following year the breach, moving along in the breach, uh, uh, holding along the next year, um, we suffered another breach that resulted in the same thing. Everything came down and we had no no applications, we had no phone system, we had no email, we didn't have CRM. But what we did have was a resiliency plan from the, the first event. And that was able to kind of slow down the ball to use a bad sports analogy. The ball slowed down, we were able to really kind of, okay, we know how this feels, we know what we have to do, we know how to manage the stress, we know what not to do. And that's where I became very interested in resiliency because most of the efforts were really put in, were really put in cybersecurity, rebuild the network, new firewalls, let's do a pen test, all of those things were going on. But as a business, we had to become, figure out how to be more resilient. And the way I kind of do it in layman's terms, I'd say that cybersecurity protects your data, cyber resiliency protects your business. So I think that, you know, I think business executives have to be more cyber aware, again, not worrying about packet sniffing and all the technical things, but doing things in the business that makes you more resilient. You know, what's resilient? Well, the resiliency is obviously the ability to cope with the situation and then recover, oh. cope and recover. That's what resiliency is all about. And hopefully after you've had a cope and recover instance, you use those learnings so you can cope better and recover more quickly.
1: So that's uh, kind of a trial by fire. You just jumped right into it and had to learn it twice. It sounds like. Yeah, we certainly had to learn it once. Then we, you know, I'd
2: say we probably got a C minus after after event one, but I'd say by event two, we probably got a B plus. But I think that I I think organizations, if they take if they are mindful of this and don't have to do a trial by fire, and have a resiliency plan and have their principles in place and do things to make the business less risky, it's all about risk reward. You know, we could have our business be 100% risk-free and we'd have no network traffic. We'd have, we'd just be a closed system, but we'd also wouldn't be a business. I've said that, you know, you got to have a door on your, on your business, but it has to be a screen door, not a solid door because things have to come in and out, but you don't want, you want to keep the big pieces, the big things out and protect. So I, you know, I'll get into that risk reward conversation. You know, we looked at some of our contracts, you know, and we're looking at our li- potential liabilities. Again, this is now we're doing this in paper with no contract management system looking at what are our liabilities for the event. And you find out you have liabilities are 30 to one, a million dollar client with $30 million of liability. If you had to pay that out, you would not be a very resilient business. Right? So we went back and renegotiated the risk reward ratios. That's a, that's an, that's a real simple example of the business
1: being aware. I want to pause you there. That's a really key point that I believe a lot of people uh overlook uh and that is what is the value of customer agreement and what is the legalese uh, what are the commitments within that agreement that you as a provider of services are accepting or having to live up to so can you unpack that a little bit for us and talk about kind of that exercise and some of the aha moments that your team discovered through through looking at those contracts Yeah, so it's
2: hand-to-hand combat, right? Client by client. You're going through and understanding what your SLA penalties are, if any, and also limits of liability. That's specifically what you're looking for. And then the third concept that I'm gonna get in, as long as we're in the contract part of the conversation, that's indemnification. That is, you need to look at the data that your clients or stakeholders or suppliers are sending you, and you have to ask yourself, do we really need this data? Like, for example, if you're taking an HRS file from a company, a human resource file, and they were including employees' social security numbers. Now, you'd have, in the operations team, you'd have to understand, do we need that data to process their work? If, and if the answer is no, then we need to go back to that client and say, we need to have that field removed. And if they say, well, that we have to get in the IT line. It's going to take nine months. Then they say, well, we need to renegotiate the contract to be indemnified from damages should something some, uh, something happened because um, and that because of us having that data. They indemnify us and they don't hold us liable if we had an event and that, dam- that data was compromised because we didn't need it, don't want it, we told you to remove it. So that's another one of those things in the contract that has to be addressed is, you know, what data do you have? Do you need it for the business or is it a matter of convenience for whoever's sending it to you? But the risk reward—I mean, you're not going to get down to a one-to-one ratio, in my opinion, on risk reward. You know, but you know, I think you know we, our goal was to try to get it—you know, less than dou- less than double digits, and significantly less than double digits—and um, and you, and you work from there. And it's it's just a it's a put and call. It's a matter of, of a negotiation. But the CISO is not going to do that work for you. The CISO needs to be at the table because they may they may be it's when you get into these conversations. It does turn into a cyber conversation, cybersecurity conversation as well. You know they're going to want to talk about their SOC two. They're going to our SOC two. They're going to want to talk about pen tests. They're going to, want to talk about red teams. They're going. To, they it will go back and forth between resiliency and cybersecurity. But I do think the business leads absolutely leads the, the client negotiations to get the risk reward more in sync and and remove data that we don't need and or get indemnified from downstream damages should something happen.
1: So, who in the company generally can take the lead on the business resiliency side? And because what you're describing is a joint effort, right? When you get into not only cybersecurity protection mechanisms, but also getting into legalese, liability, loss management from a risk, an overall business risk and legality perspective. So, what kind of roles are generally at the table when you know, your SWAT team at the company started to uncover and discover this information that was ultimately going to negatively impact the business.
2: Yeah, it's a complicated table, to say the least. Um, and there's a table on the inside when you're working through it, right, as a response or prepar- preparation team. But then there's the what, who goes to the table when you meet with the client. And that's, I'm going to get into what the roles and so forth. But I do want to make the point, you got to be so mindful of matching the table when you talk with clients most importantly lawyer to lawyer you know it, it almost it's almost if you're having that client call discussing you're asking do you, are do you have legal representation if the answer is yes then your table has to have it as well it's just a it's just good policy and practice um, in terms of the internal table who, who does what I mean I think it starts at the top I really think the CEO has an absolutely have to have an active voice in making it a priority and making sure and and being you know kind of someone's there's things come out so fast in these events and every day changes, it changes minute by minute of what you know. And somebody to be able to, you know, are we going to, are we going to take that, that new information and put it into our plan or not? Are we going to sit on it? What are we going to do with it? So I think you have to have really strong leadership, committed leadership at the top, which we did. And I think then you have to have you know, functional expertise. You do have to have your legal team there because there's going to be some contract work and SLAs, et cetera, et cetera. You do want to have your CISO there that's a, that can speak English to the business about what's going on. I do think you wanna have um, your client leader who are, if you are a B2B or b 2 b to c You wanna have the, per, the, the client uh, leader there as well and a strong communications function that is really good at social media. First of all, very, preparing the scripts to talk to clients. You don't want people going uh, you know, just off the cuff. You wanna have a very, very crafted and very accurate message that you can consistently deliver across the board and it got to the point where i almost i almost made a joke i almost kind of not joke of it but i'd say i would say to people if it sounds like i'm reading it's because i am because we had to be really precise with the language language matters so if it sounds like I'm reading it's because I am, and then we'd read our statement for the day, and then they would ask questions, we'd answer, you know, whatever we could. Again, with who, who was ever matched at the table, knowing what kind of people they had, we'd match the table. If it was going to be more of a technical conversation, did they want a legal conversation? Was it a, you know, was it a client impact conversation? So that's what I'd say. Is this really being being very prepared for for those calls, knowing who's going to be on the call, match the table and um you're going to have better outcomes but you know we we discovered a lot of things even in how you communicate early on event one i think we went down on labor day monday and you know, we were told oh we'll have everything back up on wednesday guess what 30 days later we're still rebuilding the network and white labeling and people are still looking if they want to come back up so when you give so kind of principle one became don't give dates you can't give dates until you know a date it's tempting because it, get, it gets you off that one call but it sets you up for hell for the next, next
3: however many it takes, right? Well, it, it's that ever, how do they say it, the fog of war, right? Because you're in hand-to-hand combat at the time and you don't know what's around the turn. You, th- There's so much chaos that that as much as you want to be hopeful, as much as you can want to say something to your point sometimes being honest about being in the fog of war and being in the middle of an incident and say, we don't know yet, here's the steps we're doing. And hopefully by this date, we'll be able to give you a real date, but we won't know until we've walked the path a little bit further. Not only is a better communication route reduces liability, but if you're, on, if you're the recipient of that, from a supplier or partner, and, and you're the customer, it's a more intellectually honest dialogue, so that you can rebuild trust from the beginning. Because every time you make a promise or make a commitment and don't deliver to it, you're degrading your ability to be trusted.
2: And, and the and the distrust is exponential. When you miss a date, they'll go something must have been really bad, and then you get miss another date, and it's you know it's not a 10x, it's a hundred x of distrust. So giving dates is kind of dangerous. You know the other thing we we really, really learned is. You know, we we were so sorry, 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 and we, I think you say sorry once, but I think we we are one of our operating principles became it's not sympathy, it's empathy. It would be Malcolm. I understand we're disrupting your business. Show you understand. They don't really, you know. I hate to say that they don't care if you're sorry, but they kind of don't good for you you're sorry but i want you to know, do you really understand what you're putting me through so i think having kind of even communication principles and going back to that those rules at the table you know having that strong community that strong um, communications person that can help with the i'll call it scripting but also monitoring social media so that you know if people are going to social media and you know let's say uh, maybe speculate because we were b 2 b to c so the c people were going to social media and saying something's happened and you, you got to take that stuff offline you, you know you want to respond to it or even have ask people to remove posts potentially but you got to watch the social media you got to watch better business complaints etc cetera, etc cetera. um so it's it's not just a one way communication street where you're just pushing things out. You got to be watching what's coming back at you as well.
3: I remember a time when I was at Intel again, public information because somebody could search it and find it, uh, where we had a minor thing. It, it actually had nothing to do with cyber. There was uh, something else that occurred, but a factory worker in Ireland posted on social media. Um, leaving the factory network down, blah, 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 blah. There was a step function impact on Intel stock price like that because it was a factory that, that created high margin processors and people then jumped to the conclusion the factory was down. And it, it was some building management system that had gone offline that they you know, that the sprinklers wouldn't work. And for safety reasons or something like that, they were like, hey, we'd like people to, to leave for a little bit while we reset these things. I mean, there's some benign event that all of a sudden created a stock hiccup because somebody on their smartphone, you know, decided to tweet something. Let's let's just say that employee, I, I was a hold of about seven minutes later. The other group to have at the table is... Um... Because we had a big call center too, because
2: we we take a lot of inbound calls on the B two B to C side, is to have that call center manager there as well. We created a whole new set of wrap, you know, it's called a wrap code. How you wrap up a call, you code it. So we 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 created wrap codes about what our customers were talking about, so that we could create and we create we you know we had pre and post met, careful metrics on wait times on resolution, answer times, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we'd know that if we were, you know, kind of on the brand side of things, if suddenly you go from expectations of answering in three minutes and suddenly it's 30 minutes, that's, you know, that's degradation to the brand. Again, hurts, is that hurts your resiliency when you have brand damage like that. So, you know, you, you just can't, you have to think, have all perspectives covered. And you know, the other thing that was really helpful is if whatever you have, whatever's happening, write it down, you'll never know when you're gonna need it. It may seem so inconsequential, but you're writing things down can be really, really helpful when you go back and like, especially what you're, you know, what you're communicating to clients. But even just like, that was strange, or I wouldn't, I didn't think that mattered, or I saw this on page seven of a contract, write it down. You're going to be very glad you did, because in that fog of war you just talked about, your memory gets really, really not so good.
3: Yeah, I think you're totally right. Hey, and two, two things on uh, related one to that and one back to a comment you made before about the liability side of it for thinking about business resilience. You also have to be careful about how you write things down. If they're emotive and it's like, oh my God, you know, the world is coming to an end and all that stuff. If you end up in a legal situation, the plaintiff's attorneys are going to take that, that emotive yeah. language and turn it against you. So you're increasing your liabilities depending upon What you should be doing is documenting the facts, the perspectives, that what you know, and things that are speculative. You clearly call out as a speculation, and whatever assumptions you're making. Super good call up. We were advised by
2: our teams as well on that as well. It's what you know, what not what you think, right? I think that's absolutely a critical call up. But you can't live without notes either, right? Yeah, no, exactly.
3: It just becomes how you document them and what you're putting in there. And and then the other thing that, you know, when you were mentioning about the liability and the indemnification and the negotiation with your customers and not wanting to have a 10 for one or whatever uh, multiplier, in the context, and I don't think a lot of people think about it this way, and it'd be curious to see if you guys did, if you're collect, if, you know, most people think about third party risk as I have a vendor and they're a risk to me. Now I've been in enterprises where I look at it and I go, my customer, is a risk to me. Why? Because if my customer sending me documents and files, like you mentioned an HRS file, if they're sending you those files and those files are corrupted, polluted, embedded with malicious code, they could actually be the pathogen into you. Or if they have a network connection and they're sending you feeds, if that gets compromised, they could be a pathogen to you. So depending upon the context of your business, your customer can also be the pathogen and therefore, you would want indemnification liability protection the other way. That's a great way to negotiate not having it be lopsided as well.
2: We did think about it that way because we did take in a lot of, you know, we did take in a lot of uh, third party files like that into our network. That's right. Talk about the screen door. You can't shut out all network traffic. you got to be in business. But if you want to make sure that you know, especially now when there's been so
1: many uh, systems
2: that have been corrupted and you're only as as healthy as what you ingest, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Gus, getting back to kind of the, you had the first incident and then a year or so later you had another one. Um, Was the executive team a little less surprised the second time around? And did you guys do any other kind of tabletop exercises or preparation that really helped you react a little more effectively on the second time? Yeah, we had, we had put some things in place. I don't know that we ever topped it end to end like that, but we
2: put, you know, we had our operating principles that I've started to discuss a little bit about whether, you know, getting our contracts right and knowing our data. We had a better, we knew our, we knew our client contracts a lot better. A real simple, a really simple uh, measure we took was because we lost CRM in event one. Once a week, we would download CRM into a flash drive and lock it away. So we had a full we had a full client list secured that was not didn't require you know network access to to act it. so because that, in event one it took us days to you know round up pieces of paper off people's desks to get all the client contact information so then when we yeah was there a risk in putting all your clients on a flash drive yeah of course there was but the reward was better than was you know was in place. And plus we were very careful with it obviously um, um we also had uh, we we uh, knew who our response team was going to be because in event one we, who's who needs to be in the know who needs to know first and who needs to know now so we had our we had our response team i think we had every we had a special text list set up text list set up so that if we had to send out the bad signal you know, you you could you could readily you knew everybody you had everybody because it wouldn't be uncommon for you not to have you know I don't usually have the associate general counsel in my te- in my phone contact or whatever the role might be so yeah I think we were we we were uh, better in a lot in a lot of respects because we knew the roles we also had had planned if we lost systems you know, what would be a way to do it in an alternative way. You know, it might be a skinning down offering, but we, you know, we were able to, because we lost our call center software to remember in event one. So we were able to, you know, spin up an alternative call center more quickly um, and do, some, do a few other things for clients to kind of uh, were able to show them we had a firm grasp and we're still out in control.
1: So after all of that, uh, you were pretty much part of the core team in the uh, business resiliency planning, preparation and response, it sounds like yeah it's just you know um
2: i didn't know it at the time but i've definitely become you know that that's really become a big um part of what i i did in the business was how are we going to make sure we are resilient and you know what there's value in it as well because we said resiliency is going to be part of our value proposition and i think we actually kept customers because they said wow you've lived through this you've thought about it you know what you you know other maybe maybe other your competitors haven't been through this and ironically because you have been through this you might you're probably safer than the rest of them, frankly, um, or you're or you're more resilient than your competitors. So it should it, this can be viewed as a competitive advantage as well. I don't think I'd go out and tempt fate with it. I think Malcolm yeah. would agree with me that as soon as you say it, you're tempting fate, and people are going to say, "Oh yeah," but I think I think you can have that quiet confidence inside, and you know, customers actually said it. We never we never led with that, frankly, but customers would say it to us. And you know, we would just you know nod politely and not get into a big dialogue about it.
3: Well, and, and I think you're right. I mean, you, we can eliminate risk physically, logically. Heck, you can't even re- eliminate risk in the financial markets, right? So it becomes a, how do you become resistant to risk, to mitigate it, but recognizing you can't eliminate it? You're exactly right. You have to be resilient from it. How do you not only survive it, but how do you thrive after the fact? Like you mentioned... You did your best year ever that's to survive and thrive um which culturally internally creates a level of strength from the struggle um the confidence and the ability to to explain that to customers shows a level of transparency and integrity with the intent that we will be here for you we might struggle through if we have something but we're we'll get through it right that proof point Gives you the confidence, and it should give the, give the customers the confidence that, that again, culturally as an organization, um, you've got the right tenacity and the right approach to manage through.
2: And that's really well said it it became a it certainly became a culturally it coesced as a culture for sure that we were able to perform and you know and you get strange partnerships being formed and relationships and suddenly those led to something else I, you know i developed a much tighter relationship with the i.t side of the house and that just and that really, really helped in a lot of ways, from product development to reviewing cybersecurity requirement documents to, you know, we became much more partnered and more, you know, and that uh, that spilled over into the business as well. But it, there was definitely a confidence that came across us as well from having, hey, we, you know, we did it collectively.
1: If you could leave our audience with, you know, one or two key pieces of advice, you've given us a lot of nuggets here today. Um, what What are one of those one or two key points be? Uh, for organizations that either are currently experiencing a business resilience event or are preparing themselves to deal with one in the future?
2: Yeah, it's hard to get down to a couple, but I, I would say that, you know, knowing your data, what data do we have? Do we have PHI? Do we have PC? What da- know your data, know your contracts, slash know your customers, and uh, understand that this is a stressful situation. And as senior leaders, visibility is key. Visibility with customers, like hey, hey uh, Chad uh, so-and-so wants to talk with you oh, I don't want, I don't want to jump on that call it says senior leaders need to be highly visible to everybody and um, understand that everyone is stressed and somehow manage your stress level um, that's that's vital because the more stressed you are, the the less clear things are. So know your customers, know your data, know what stress stressful. Be visible, be empathetic, and and prepare. I mean, I do believe the question was from Malcolm, what tabletop? I think it's worth putting in an organization through a simulated simulations, where it's not just the IT group, you know, looking at things, but there's you know we're using the case studies to actually go through simulated events and how the bit, see how the business reacts. And then teach, and then do it again, and see what people have learned. So it's, I'd rather learn with you know with 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 blanks and bullets. And there's a, the tabletop
1: certainly allows you to do that. Great advice. If uh, our audience wants to get a hold of you, Gus, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you?
2: You know, they can certainly go directly to you. That would be fine if you um, they know you. You're the you're known, Um, or they can certainly just text me at uh, my mobile, which is
1: uh, 612-240-2208. All right. Well, thanks again. This is some really great insight. And, you know, as it's been said in our discussion today, learning really builds that uh, capability, that muscle, and uh, you're living proof of that coming from a a, a non-cyber resiliency side to now being an expert in it. So thanks again for sharing that knowledge. Expertise might be a little
2: way strong. I will say that I have experience and passion. And if that's expertise, then that's pretty nice. But I have expertise, I have passion, and I have experience.
3: It's always the, the right way to have it. Awesome.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Business of Security podcast brought to you by TrustMap. We want to hear from our listeners. If you have a topic you'd like to discuss in the podcast or would like to continue the conversation, please connect with us on Twitter at CyberSecPodcast or email us at businessofsecurity at TrustSDS.com. We want to extend a special thanks to today's guest, Gus Thompson. Our hosts today were Chad Beckman, founder of TrustMap, and Malcolm Harkins, Chief Security and Trust Officer at CyMatic. You can connect with both Chad and Malcolm on LinkedIn and learn more about TrustMap at TrustMap.com. You can find out more about Malcolm and Cymatic at Cymatic.io. Our show was produced by Dan Rollins with Livewire Films. You can connect with Dan on LinkedIn and learn more about Livewire at Livewirefilms.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Business of Security podcast. And that's a wrap.